You're listening to Roll the Podcast, the cyber resilience podcast for all existing and aspiring cyber professionals, putting the spotlight on the vital role that people and culture play in making organizations cyber safe. Resilient and cyber savvy people are an organization's strongest defense against cybercrime. I am your host, Marilise de Villiers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raw, the podcast. I am so delighted to be joined today by Melissa Agnes. Hi, Melissa. Hi, ladies. How are you? I'm so well, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Brilliant. So before before we dive in and find out more about Melissa, um, I'm going to just tell you a little bit more about her um, and and the business person, and then we'll get into more of the, the personal side. But uh, Melissa is the founder and CEO of the Crisis Ready Institute, um, and she's a recognized leading authority on crisis preparedness, reputation management, and brand protection. Agnes is the creator of the Crisis Ready model and author of Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. She is a coveted speaker, commentator, and advisor to some of today's leading organizations faced with the greatest risks. I recently met Melissa. We're both part of um, the Cyber Resilience Institute and uh, absolutely just loved and connected with you straight away. Uh, So very, very excited and delighted to have you with me today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Great. So let's dive straight in. And I always start with this question um, so that people can get to know you, the person, a little better. So who is Melissa, the person? I feel like that's such a, that's like probably the hardest question you're going to ask me today. Um, and that's okay. I so know. Actually, I know. <laughs> um, and so I of that being so hard for me. I put a thing out on, on Instagram that asked that question that like, what do you know about me? Or what would you like to know about me? Um, that's actually interesting to share, right? Because, eh. um, I mean, originally I'm from Montreal, Canada. I live in New York City. I've been here since 2018. Um, I was told today to mention that the reason I love maple syrup so much is because I'm Canadian. Um, I'm an inquisitive person. I think by nature, I just, I ask a lot of questions all the time. Um, somebody wrote to me that said that the questions I ask are kind of shocking and they create instant like profound connections with people. So I think I'm really proud of that as a human and and it definitely serves my work. Um, I think one of my kind of super talents or powers is being able to see deeper context in emotion, in the reasons why people do things or might do things, in the impacts of things, in um, empathy, like having empathy and compassion, all these things. And all of that plays into why I'm wired to do the work that I do and I think why I do it so well. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. And apart from that, I am somebody I like, I like any, I like experiences. I love experiences. I love experiencing new things. I'm always trying to challenge myself, um, learn, grow and adventure around the world. Love that. I love that. And I love your um, questions uh, point because I always say it's so important to ask better questions, to ask the right questions, because that determines the quality of the answers that we get. And um, and I think in the work that you do and, and I do, we have to ask the right questions. Um, 
so I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm in awe. Um, absolutely love love your work, and I, I, th- I think your um, approach is fantastic. And uh, um, you know, I think really crisis, and, and and I know that you get really quite um, excited about, you know, how we are not 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 as prepared as we should be in this in this crazy world we live in. Um, but let's just help help our listeners and just set some context, uh, because I mean, let's face it, you know, social media real-time news cycles, mobile technology. Um, and it's really, really changed the landscape in terms of how we um, how we do crisis management. And I know that you've talked about this in your TED Talk ages ago, TEDx, ages ago. Uh, I think it's seven years ago now. <laughs> but even, um, yes, can you believe that? Um, but it's really that sort of... Um, even now, I think we're still, it's still not good enough. The status quo is, is not good enough. So just give us a little bit more about sort of the, the landscape so we can better understand what we mean by the crisis landscape. The, the status quo is absolutely not good enough. Um, and that's the thing. That's why I, I do what I do is because I'm, you know, who's Melissa Agnes? I'm not a complainer. So I get frustrated with things and I want to be, I want to fix it. Um, I think that's the, the male energy of me. Um, but in the sense of, you know, the status quo right now, when you look at crisis, so crisis is any type of event or situation that presents material and consequential impact on people, whether that's internally and or externally on the organization the environment and the environment to me can be the planet, depending on the company or depending on, on the type of business we're talking about, can be the planet, could also be the economy. Um, uh, people, environment, the organization's operations, its reputation and or its bottom line. So to me, when I look at crisis, when I look at, I'll answer your crisis landscape question, but to kind of set the tone and give context, when I look at crisis, no matter what, every single business, we have, we have people, we have the planet right? Our environment and we have our economy. So mm-hmm. livelihood, right? Our ability mm-hmm. to, to live and breathe air and then to function and, and to save lives and et cetera. The reason I'm so frustrated with the status quo is because when we, there's so much, but when we dig down to the kind of more to the foundation of it, we're not taught in school how to lead through change, challenge, and crisis. We're not given the tools. So right now we have a world in both the private and public sectors of leaders who don't know how to rise and lead in times of crisis. And we've experienced that over the last two, almost Mm -hmm. three years now. And at the seats, the tables and the seats that I sit at globally, I've witnessed that to a shocking degree just behind the scenes on what happens. And, um, and so add to like the crisis landscape, we have that. We have this big, big, powerful, people don't know how to lead. They're not taught. They don't have the confidence or the competence to lead through crisis. In addition to that, what makes the landscape so complicated, I mean, you named a few, Mary Lise, but emotion, right? Your own emotion and having to lead through change, challenge, and crisis, as well as the emotion of every single other impacted party or potentially impacted party when we're talking reputation, operations, bottom line, people, environment, then you have everything that comes with the digital landscape and real-time media and sensationalization, and the world lives in controversy right now, and that just feeds the emotion. There's so much, and then you have to figure out, you know, in a crisis, you don't have all of the answers. That's a part of what a crisis is, right? You, The answers come 
fragmentally um, over a period of time. Meanwhile, you feel all of this pressure because you have this potential impact or this, you know, very strong potential impact mm-hmm. materially on people, environment, operations, reputation, bottom line. So it's this very, very hectic time, emotional time, because we're emotional beings as human beings, even the most logical of us, right? We sometimes mm-hmm. don't like to admit it, but we're emotional beings. That's by nature who we are. 100%. And it's just this perpetually kind of perpetuating kind of cycle of chaos. And in it, we don't have, we currently, right now, the world, professionals, adults, leaders, don't have the skills or the competency, which comes from the skills, to rise up and say, I've got this, follow me, we're going to get through it together. And to actually put the right actions and communications in the right timeline so that you can actually effectively do that. I know that that was a lot, but you're asking for like set the landscape for crisis and why status quo isn't good enough and why we're failing so massively on a global scale. That's just, you know, me saying that in five minutes. And, and, and that's beautiful and powerful stuff and scary at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) But it's frustration. And, but it's fascinating that it comes down to always comes back to people and emotions. And it's so, it's so closely aligned with what I'm all about is that sort of personal resilience and building your resilience muscle. So, so that you're strong enough from the inside out to navigate, to navigate these, um, you know, I love what you say, change, challenge, crises. It's, uh, it's all those things because it isn't just change, you know, it's the change with the challenge on top of it and the crisis on top of it. So, it just creates a very, very com- complicated narrative. And I think what, what really resonated with me when you said about we're not taught this stuff at school. Um, you know, one of the things, one of my biggest bugbears is around critical thinking. And I think it, it plays nicely into what you've just said, is that we're not taught to how to think critically um, and, and, and challenge challenge what, what we see um, and what's, what's sort of happening around us. And that's perpetuated today with the instant gratification of things and the, the shortened attention span. So we read a headline that's sensationalized, that's created to be sensationalized, to trigger fear, to trigger anger, to trigger sadness, like whatever the emotion is. We aren't, we don't have the capacity, um, generally speaking, people don't have the capacity yet to then self-reflect and say, why do I feel this way? So critical thought, but as well as self-awareness and digging in and, you know, why am I triggered this way? And with the instant gratification and the short attention spans, that sensationalized headline that was created to trigger something in you and to manipulate you in that way, to your point, you, we don't then, society doesn't then typically dig in and actually read the thousand words of, you know, essay or article that actually gives more that would allow for critical thought. So it's this perpetuating cycle of a mess right now Mm -hmm. um, that, that my work is trying to figure out how do we, where do we even start and begin and how do we teach this skill and the awareness so that we can have more leaders who are competent and confident to, to rise to an occasion and see the opportunity in it, not a self-serving opportunity, but a beautiful opportunity for connection and growth and building relationships. Every single business, I don't care what business you're in, whether you're private sector, public sector, if you cater to animals, the common denominator is human beings. Even if you cater to animals, you still are selling to the humans who bring the, that product home or service home to their animals, right? It's human yes. beings. 
crisis management, crisis communication, and communication being one of the most challenging aspects of being human, um, never mind in crisis, just in general, is all about doing right by those people that your business is designed to serve, or even on a personal level that you are, that you love, who you love, um, and are responsible for in some capacity. It's doing right by those people when you're put to the test and it matters most. That when it comes down to it, that is the importance of, of learning this skill set. It's really the, yeah. So it's about doing the right thing when it matters the most. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And and so the whole leadership, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about leadership, because what, what strikes me is that, you know, when I reflect back on the early days of COVID um, and the and the leaders that sort of were, were rising and navigating um, versus the ones that were really, really struggling, and I think organizations that were struggling were already in trouble before COVID, so I don't think it's necessarily COVID, it's just, um, you know, like perpetuated it and made like put a spotlight on it um but but what i thought and and this would be really helpful to get your perspective is that the leaders who sort of rose were the ones that were able to lead but also be vulnerable so they were the ones that were sort of you know bringing people along and saying can we figure this out together but still be the leader Mm -hmm. um so i love that you touched on that because that is new um content material, IP, like whatever, however you want to call it, um, that the Institute is publishing right now. And so we have a a crisis ready course that's coming out in September, a 10 week, 15 hour course. And this is a big piece of it. So historically speaking, when you think of a leader, right, you think of, and just kind of generally speaking, you think of somebody who's very confident, somebody who's very assured, somebody who is very stoic and stands tall and is not emotive at all. There is no place for emotion, right? Historically in business or in leadership. Um, and is very, there's a very big guard. And that was traditionally speaking, that was a leader. Today, that's not a successful leader. Meanwhile, to your point, so, so crisis management requires this and communication requires this very delicate balance between providing reassurance that you know, um, you're going to guide and show the action steps and provide the action steps and all the directives to reassure that you're, we're going to go in the right direction. We're going to heal whatever it is that needs to be healed and fixed. Hope for a better tomorrow, right? A shared vision of what you're working towards, whether it's your company's working towards it, the world is working towards it, whatever it is. But when people are in doubt and despair and angry or worried or scared, whatever it is, they need that hope, right? And a strong leader provides that hope and vulnerability because that vulnerability is that human connection and being vulnerable. And, you know, uh, Brene Brown's work is, is beautiful because it's, it's brilliant. It's not beautiful. It's brilliant because she talks about courage and how you can't have courage without vulnerability. And historically that stoic, strong, reassured is never wrong leader is not vulnerable, right? So we're, that is the leadership, quote unquote leadership that people have in their minds, historically speaking, generationally speaking, that that's what a leader is. But then you look at somebody like Jacinda Ardern, prime minister of um, New Zealand, who reassured because at the start of COVID, within 48 hours of COVID hitting New Zealand, she came out with a very decisive plan and clear communications around what that plan was. So she led and she reassured with that, with, with those directives, with that plan of action, with that, 
she provided hope, and she had the courage to sit there, for example, and make herself human. So there's five hindrances of crisis ready that get in the way of this courageous piece, right? That the vulnerability falls under. And just as an example, she would do Facebook lives with a country after she put her children to bed, not dressed perfectly, not all made up, hair wasn't perfect, you know, sweatshirt and like spit up from her kids and sat there and had real talk with her, with her um, citizens and let them know, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Yes, I'm scared too. No, I don't have all the answers. Let me answer yours. We're going to do this together. We're a team of 5 million. Like that is what is required today. And that is the thing. That is one of the things I feel like I'm rambling, but that is one of the things that is not taught and is the most scary thing is to be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. To come out as a leader and to not have all the answers and to admit that is a very challenging, challenging, uncomfortable space. Meanwhile, if you're also providing that reassurance and that hope, so it's really this delicate balance. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's vulnerable. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it doesn't like feel great at all, but it's relatable, it's human, and it's trustworthy. Because you want, as society, we want to follow, we do, we follow the people who stand up and say, I don't have all the answers, but here's what we're going to do because here's what we know. And if tomorrow we get more information and we have to redirect our course of action of our plan, we're going to do that, but we're going to do that together. And we're going to do that with the facts. And we're going to do that with what we know at that time. We're going to continue to do that versus the person that stands up and says, follow me. I always have the right answers. I will get this right. And it's never wrong. And and is too scared ultimately to be vulnerable to then change course of action and takes you down the wrong path. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, and I, and I absolutely love that you've brought in uh, courage and Bre- Brene Brown's work because I'm a hundred percent on board with that courage and vulnerability are two sides of the same coin. And I think the word for me that comes to mind is authenticity. And because we also have Everybody has a unique story, you know, and that's what makes humans so complex and so beautiful. Um, but I always very much promote this idea that your message matters. So the more you can bring your personal story and your vulnerability to the fore, and I love that you say trustworthy because I think trustworthiness is is incredible. But you you generate that trust, you earn that trust by being vulnerable. And so I'm just going to summarize the three things because I think it's absolutely fantastic. So reassurance. Um, giving people hope and then vulnerability. So um, that's the kind of the, the balance. Yeah, courage to be vulnerable, courage to be authentic, courage to be to be real, and to courage to not have all the answers when you don't have all the answers, but the reassurance and the hope that you will when as it becomes discoverable and uncoverable and that it'll be shared. It really is this fine balance and reassurance and hope is what historically leaders are good at. They're not good at that courageous vulnerability piece because society didn't permit it. And when I say we're not taught that in school, we're not taught about, you know, what I call the five hindrances of crisis ready that get in the way of that courage and vulnerability, which are um, avoidance, ego, fear, ignorance, and politics, Um, which we could have a whole discussion on that. but. It's all human, it's all human nature in it. And so right now, anyways, with the Crisis Ready Institute, these are the things that I'm seeing as when I think about, you know, what's going on in the world, when I observe and coach and and teach and advise and what's going on in the world, these are like the underlying 
core foundational pieces of what's wrong and what's missing and what is needed. And so Crisis Ready Institute is, that's where we're focusing on bringing this skill set, this awareness, this mindset, um, and these capabilities to anybody and everybody, because we're all leaders and we all need to have this. We need to have this for our children. We need to have this for our teammates. We need to have this for our communities um, and for leading businesses. So that's, that's the focus. And and that's why I love your mission. It's it's so amazing. It's like to create a crisis resilient world. I mean, as you say, it's everybody, and I think that's what you've just uh, reiterated. It is for everybody, and I think the younger we can start, um, and this is an area I'm increasingly passionate about. Is I've got two teenage boys, and really just observing their curriculum and how this stuff is completely missing. Um, it, it really bugs me, really, really bugs me. <laughs> I know, it's okay. I don't have children and I wonder, and I would love to have children, and I wonder, I have to remind myself that, yes, it's, it's you know, it's a good thing to bring people into this world because it's so frustrating. That is, and, and, and I think that is where people like us, um, you know, who, who want to make it a better place and who, who are challenging the status quo and who are inviting, I think, people to really connect with their inner inner power and their inner being and, you know, their higher power, dare I say, I think is, is absolutely where the secret, and that is the secret, but I think it's very, very alien to, to lots of people and not traditionally acceptable, especially in, a, in an organizational corporate context. And that is shifting. The good news is that the opportunity for openness for just that type of discovery and acceptance is, is shifting towards, you know, allowance and, and openness. So that's, that's a positive thing. The piece of uh, life. Absolutely. So, talk to me about your crisis ready model that you've developed and, and how, you know, bring, bring that to life for us a bit. Um, the crisis ready model is when I wrote my book, I needed to figure out, I don't see any of the crisis management, crisis readiness. Um, so crisis ready is about building a crisis ready culture. It's not about having a plan that sits on a shelf, right? You need to plan, but you develop a program, you integrate into the culture because ultimately to everything that we're speaking about, you want an entire organization filled with people who have this mindset, the skill set, and the capability to rise up and lead through challenge, know what to do, and to come out of any type of issue or crisis with increased trust and credibility with those who matter most to your business. Like that's the vision. That's the goal. So the crisis ready model was developed by a brilliant friend of mine, Mean James, who, while I sit, sat down to write my book, needed help in going, I don't do this in a linear fashion. Like I work with an organization. I get very, very deeply woven into the company and the business, like all of it. Um, and it just comes naturally to me. How do I put this in a comprehensive, you know, cohesive way, um, linear fashion kind of for the book? So she sat down with me. She's brilliant. And she helped me develop this contextual model. She listened to me ramble for 90 minutes and came back with this contextual model, which is her brilliant brain. And ultimately, it's it's the phases of becoming crisis ready. And it's designed at the beginning of the book, throughout the book, it's a pyramid. So it's, you know, one, two, three, four, five. And then when you get to the pinnacle, your crisis ready, but then it becomes cyclical. So now this pyramid turns into a circle because it's being crisis ready because it's part of your culture, because it's mindset, skills, and capability. It needs to be a living, breathing aspect of who you are as an organization and who you are as a leader. Um, so it becomes like this cycle thing. So the first phase is to audit. Auditing the 
how you're, where you sit on the spectrum of crisis ready, which is ultimately where your mindset is as a culture, where your um, skill set is of your team, of your people to respond to change, challenge, controversy, crisis, and where the capabilities. So the capabilities are your governance and your processes and your procedures and your protocols that enable the mindset and the skill set to work effectively, right? To let that engine run together to, um, seamlessly. So you do a, a, an audit and you understand kind of benchmark where you are, where your goals are. The second phase of the model is to understand. So understanding variables, variables and impacts. Here you're going to, what are your high-risk scenarios? How does your organization define crisis? Because a crisis for one company is not necessarily a crisis for another company, and oftentimes it isn't. And what are your thresholds that take something from an issue to crisis level? And then also, importantly, back down from crisis to, to issue level, right? Right down to non-issue level. Um, so understanding the di different variables, components to what all of the pieces or part of the pieces of what will then become your program. Um, the next one is to identify scenarios and stakeholders. So now you're digging more into every organization has a series of what we call high-risk scenarios um, that are your most likely high-impact situations from a negative standpoint, right? Um, and it doesn't have to be triggered by negativity. You can get an onslaught of like, you could go on, I don't know, own channel or where whatever makes sense to your business and talk about your business. And tomorrow you get literally like a million new subscribers or customers or whatever, and you don't have the capacity to handle that. That could be a crisis. Operationally, that's a crisis. So it could be triggered by a positive thing. But where are your risks? And most importantly, who are your stakeholders? And what is their tie to your brand values? What is their emotional tie to your organization? What is their, what matters to them when you look at those high-risk scenarios, what the impact, what matters to them and why? What's the emotions involved if that scenario were to come to light? All, so understanding, identifying the remainder of the pieces of that massive jigsaw puzzle that is your Crisis Ready program. From there, you want to design your program. So that's a whole thing uh, in and of itself. But it's designing the program, the processes, the governance structure, your crisis communication processes, um, everything that you put down on paper that then you want to implement, because remember, it's cultural, you want to implement into the culture of the organization, which is the final final stage before it becomes cyclical and you start all over again continuously. Um, one of the things that's really important about the crisis ready model and the way that it was designed is we've identified over the course of my career, there's always these obstacles. There's always the same consistently consistent obstacles that challenge, whether it's the, the um, you know, one to all of the five crisis ready hindrances um, or hindrances of crisis ready, whether it's gaining buy-in and support from different members of the team. And if it's cultural, you need everybody's buy-in and support. So the way that it's structured is that, and the process that you undergo, the way that we undergo the process is you're bringing everybody who's a part of your crisis-ready team into the picture from the get-go. And you're creating that buy-in and support. And you're, uh, you're finding the obstacles that you want to find pre-crisis and not deal with in crisis that become mm -hmm. bottlenecks and stalemates and all these things. So there, it's very meticulously designed to get, when we get to the end, people, there's a sense of ownership of everybody's role and responsibility. There's a sense of opportunity versus challenge or negativity involved with it, um, which are two, just two examples of, of common challenges. Um, yeah.
That is incredible. That was a lot. That's incredible. And I think it's um, amazing that you have developed this training course, this program. I saw I saw earlier today on LinkedIn. Um, and it looks it looks like it's going to be an amazing amazing course I'm really excited about it. yeah no and um it's um it's something that i think you know um it's coming at exactly the right time <laughs> absolutely. and there's nothing like it you can't find the material that we teach in this course anywhere else and it's so needed and it's fun i mean anybody who's read my book knows that there's games built into the book there's strategy sessions built into the book there's like all of these things to make this subject matter and the learnings that come with it fun and empowering and inspiring versus dark and gloomy and cumbersome and heavy so that's yeah and i think what what i love is the sort of people centric the culture the culture drive because um all my work is is centered around embedding secure mindsets and habits into organizational cultures you know so cybersecurity um you know it's 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 demystifying cybersecurity it's actually it's everybody's responsibility and and how do you get how do you engage people with the you know the, the subject matter but also doing the right thing behaving um in the right way in that sort of moment that matters so i talk about moments that matter so those are sort of the high risk touch points where people interact with systems and data and where they actually um if they don't make the right decision they actually um can cause a s- serious security incident and then of course you know, we're in crisis mode right so um i i love how what what you're saying is so complementary and in alignment with, with with the way I approach behavioral change from a cyber cybersecurity perspective, um, and it all comes back down to how do we how do we identify the moments that matter, those high risk touch points, the things that are most important, and how do we get that sort of biggest bang for our buck? But then it's the mindsets, it's the skill sets, it's the capabilities, and uh, it all comes beautifully together, doesn't it? It does. It yeah. does. And it's seeing it. It goes to the mindset, but it's seeing it as I'm very frustrated with the world, right? Like right now, the world is a very frustrating place. There's so much pain. There's so much suffering. There's so much lack of leadership that's causing the pain of the suffering. And it's perpetual and it's heavy. But then I look at it and I say, okay, but where, where, where you know, are the underlying problems that I have the power to tackle and to do my best to serve with, right? And to support people with and help people with. And then when people ask me, like, how is my work not heavy? Because the work that we do, it's that mindset. It's I see it as I help companies, I help professionals and leaders take a negative situation and transform it into something that builds. You talk about resilience. Resilience is coming back, right? It's coming back. When you're going through a challenge, if you see it the right way, if you choose the lens to see it, you know, one of the things I say is that the lens through which you choose to see a negative event directly impacts the actions you take which directly impacts the results. So if you choose to see it in an opportunity-driven way, in a connection way, in a way to serve the people that you're designed to serve and strengthen the relationships that you share with them, then you're not just resilient where you bounce back, but you're actually coming back stronger and better and with even more opportunity than you had before. And that goes to mindset. That goes to the cultural component of how how do you as a human and your team And how do you lead your team to view those types of challenges? Are they pains in the butt? You know, are they annoyances? Are they something to panic over? 
or do, are you strong enough, courageous enough to be vulnerable and to fix what needs to be fixed so that you can come back even stronger? And to me, that's where, that's the thing that I have to see in order to not be overwhelmed with the frustration and um, sometimes the discouragement and despair in my worst moments. But um, it really is, how do we make the world a better place and connect people and alleviate the suffering that's, that's existing? And, and that role of the leader to create that vision and that opportunity and, you know, putting people in that mindset or helping people to see the opportunity. I think that's probably the most important job um, of a leader um, to, to really help drive it forward. It's so, that uh, right? It's that yeah. And you combine that with the reassurance exactly. and the direction because a leader needs to give direction and to lead. And then as well as that humanity piece, which takes a lot of courage. And it's, it's, it's so reassuring for me that you're highlighting hope. Um, I'll be vulnerable for a moment because um, when I, when I was in my, in my situation at work where I'm working with a bully, um, he, he always used to criticize my, my hope. I, I was always very positive. I was always thinking about opportunity and um, that was always the thing that he criticized about me. And uh, he's always like, Marilee, she can't build things on hope. And I'm like, you're actually telling me today it's, it's actually one of the core leadership pillars. Um, no, he was very mistaken. What you can't do <laughs> is look at luck as a strategy. That's yes. what you can't do. But hope, what do we have if we don't have hope? So that's on him. That's his. And that was his, that's his personal struggle or one of them in his journey. Yeah, it's just it's it's still it's still poignant in my head today. And I, I still remember it. So um, it's 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 as much what you learn from how not to do it than, you know, how to do it as well. So I've, I've taken lots of valuable learnings. I've transformed cultures that of sinking companies into I, I haven't done single handedly. We do it as a team. But right? Like through the crisis ready work, we have transformed sinking companies to flourishing, growing companies and hope instilling that hope in leadership and in their teams. And is a big piece of that, of that success. It's a mat, it's a game changer and a strong leader. So you didn't call him a leader. You called him a bully. That's not a leader. No, no, he, he wasn't. A strong he wasn't. leader provides that hope inspires for a bigger tomorrow a greater tomorrow and something that is bigger than oneself, but is that oneself is required in order to achieve it. And that is a very, very, very powerful thing for human beings. Beautiful. And, and so what would be the top three things that you would love people to take away from this conversation? Man, I mean, those three things to, I think, not necessarily three things, but one thing, because three things might yeah. be a lot. One thing's good. <laughs> to learn more. If this conversation is interesting to you, is inspiring to you, is even just intriguing to you, dig dig deeper. Uh, because we need, we need this. We need human beings. We need adults and professionals and leaders to be able to have this, this mindset and the skills and the capability to reassure provide hope and to be courageous enough in times of change, challenge, and crisis. We need a massive amount of this right now. And we all have the capacity and it really is a learnable skill. It's a learnable skill. It's not, I'm not, I'm not special. 
right? It's just something I've developed over time and continue to hone because I'm human and it, it's really challenging. So if there's anything about this that is intriguing to you, then I invite you and encourage you to, to dig in a little bit deeper and to learn more and to follow the path that that is enlightening to you, right? It doesn't have to be all of it, but whatever speaks to you is, is the path that you can follow. And I hope that you're courageous enough to do so. And I love how you've brought the conversation full circle because uh, we started this conversation with you talking about curiosity and asking questions. And I think the digging deeper, the learning more, the being curious, the being courageous is all about asking better questions in order to get better answers. Thank you so much, Mr. This is, I mean, we can carry on for hours and we will, we will carry on for hours um, because there's so much more that I would love to know. And, um, share um but but really just very 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 glad and very honored to have you here with me today thank you likewise so if you want to get in touch with melissa you can find her on um linkedin or instagram at melissa agnes um, and you can also find her at the crisisreadyinstitute.com if you want to get in touch um, as as she highlighted earlier her, her new training course is is coming out soon um who who is that aimed at Melissa? communication professionals specifically um so and and that doesn't mean that you have to be your professional or consultant or in-house it just means that you are responsible for communication and you want to strengthen that skill set because it is it is a massive portion of successful crisis management and crisis leadership um, and communication is, I mean, the, it, to hone that skill and to get stronger in that serves your, your personal relationships, serves your personal life, as well as your professional life. Um, so, yeah, it's a 10-week, 15-hour course with, oh, I'm so excited about it. That's just like the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's going to be a lot deeper than that, but, um, and fun, a lot of fun. Love that. We we always I always say you know we should have so much more fun. <laughs> um, Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm working with a coach at the moment, and she always says it's 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 hard until it's easy. <laughs> but she's very yes. much about enjoying enjoying the process and having having fun along the way. And um, yeah, so uh, great, amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Everyone, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, we hope you found today's episode useful and you took away a, key, a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. To find out more and how we can help you and your organization strengthen its resilience muscle and find your raw, head over to marilisdevilliers.com.